Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. We're joined by Jason Kipnis, newly minted Chicago Cub, going into his 10th Major League Baseball season after nine years with the Cleveland Indians. Jason, welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. Sure. Uh, let's talk about the, the virus first and foremost. Uh, from what I understand, you set up a Cameo account. You're sending some of the proceeds to the relief effort for COVID-19. Is that true? I am. I am. They've been uh, trying to get me on there for a while. Um, and finally, with nothing else to do, I have nothing but time. So I figured I might as well kill two birds with one stone and make it a, a good cause. And so I've been donating uh, half of each Cameo to uh, certain fundraisers or certain uh, donation places that either I just find on the internet myself or that they, they pick. Are most of the cameos uh, like birthday wishes? So far, that's what a lot of them have been. Um, kind of a split between birthdays and virus where it's like, hey, they haven't seen their families in a while, so tell them that they miss them or uh, the other half would be the birthday wishes. But they're, they're, they're fairly easy to knock out. Well, where are you right now and, and how are you getting your workouts in? Are you working out or are, are you putting on, you know, the freshman 15? <laughs> I was the first week, and I said, I can't be doing this. I can't dig myself a, a hole in case this does ramp back up. So I'm, I'm in Chicago, actually. Um, we, we bought a new place in Old Town, but it's not ready, so I'm living in one of my friend's Airbnbs that's in Wrigleyville. And I have my cages that I got from my high school that I've been driving back to Northbrook each day to, um, to hit and work out there. So it actually kind of gets me out of the house and off the couch and keeps me busy. Jason, have you been reading the accounts of what – Major League Baseball wants to do, how they might proceed with the season. I mean, the latest uh, is that there might be games in Florida and Arizona, and there might be realignment of the division. I mean, it's crazy what's going on. Can you see something happening here? I've been reading them, and I think after these latest proposals, I might stop reading them until they get <laughs> a little bit more serious with some of these. Um, I don't know. I think I, – listen, I understand – Everyone wants uh, sports to come back. I understand distractions are, are huge right now. And when you look as athletes, as entertainers now, you're, you're really relying on them to entertain at this point. How comfortable would you be walking into a clubhouse with 27, 28, 29 other guys, dressing with them, showering with them, eating with them, throwing a baseball back and forth with them getting their germs on the baseball? Would you feel comfortable with that? That's again, that's you need testing, right? You need that's where we need more tests to be done. If everybody comes in and uh, passes the test or gets tested for it, and I, I'd feel all right doing that part, but I'm saying it's so hard to avoid because, yeah, like a pitcher licks his hand before touching the ball, then that's on the ball, and like there's just so many ways where it can be transferred, or you just never know. So, I think testing would put a lot of players' minds at ease. But that's only one of the numerous hoops they'd have to jump through to, to get this thing going. Yeah, in every sport where there's a ball involved, and more so in baseball, where there's not only a ball involved, but there's licking involved. I think it'd be the last of the sports unless you were sure that that licking didn't lead to something. The double play ball is going to knock three guys out in a yeah. row right there. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Two clubhouses will get shut down after that one. So you've got the baseball facility 
in Northbrook that's named after you because you made a nice donation to create that thing. Are, are you going there to work out? And are do you have friends coming over there to, to throw BP to you and to hit you ground balls and stuff? We, we're keeping it to a minimum. So there's usually only me and two other people. My girlfriend joins me. Um, she's a personal trainer, so she works out herself just to get her out of the house too. But uh, one of my buddies and former high school teammates, Justin Weiner, who works over at the high school, we got him to – join us because um, I played baseball with him. He played in college as well. So at least he knows what he's doing. And, um, so he can throw BP and hit grounders to me or whatever. And, but even inside there, we try to do a good job of social distancing in the sense that we don't really no high fives, no handshakes, no, we don't get too close to each other. We wipe down the equipment with stuff. So we take what precautions we can, but that's at least it's given us something to do. So I'm thankful for that. All right, Jason, let's say they green light a day that you get back at it. How many days from a, a player's perspective do you really need to prepare for a regular season? Position players are going to be different than pitchers. I'll put it that way. And, and, and relievers are going to be different than starters. I think the more time off, the more time you're going to need to get back on it. So if we, if this goes longer and longer, pitchers and starters are going to need more time to build back up. Hitters, hitters are about two weeks, two and a half weeks. I think they, especially since we're all, most of us are in shape to start the season or we just were, I think it wouldn't be back and just kind of get a week to get back into shape, baseball shape, and then a week to get another week to get your timing down. I think guys can feel comfortable where they're not going to feel their best, but I think they'd at least be good enough to roll the dice there and feel comfortable just giving it a go. Pitchers, you're just asking for injuries if you don't give them enough time to build back up. And as a follow-up to that, what is the bare minimum amount of games do you think are required to, to really, if you're going to, crown a champion yeah, baseball's a long season to begin with how many do you have to play to earn that i'm i'm with you i've been thinking about that i've been trying to calculate in my head where will they'll draw, draw the line to what will be enough you know what two months 60 games i think would be mm-hmm. the minimum for me something around then and you put it this way if you if you win people are gonna shoe it off and if you lose you, you can shoe it off and be like oh it's a short season you have excuses either way so i think when you buckle down to it, I think a real winner would be a real winner. They've been dealing with the same circumstances that all their 29 teams have dealt with. And so I don't want to shortchange them too much. Yes, there will be an asterisk kind of next to it, but there'll be excuses on both sides, whether you win or lose. So I think every team will be taking it serious enough and consider yourself a winner in the end. All right, let's take a little time out here and we'll be back shortly with Chicago Cubs infielder, outfielder, Jason Kipnis. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus, a world-class medical destination at the forefront of education, science, medicine, and healthcare, right in the center of the Rocky Mountain region. We are back with Jason Kipnis of the Chicago Cubs. All right, Jason, you know the name of this podcast is We Are Unstoppable. And it's presented by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. So I want to talk about you being unstoppable in your career. The last three years, I mean, been kind of tough. You've been through a litany of injuries from hamstring to shoulder. Uh, You needed surgery on your hammock bone, the small bone in your hand. What have you done psychologically to just stay on top of things, to, to keep yourself going into the gym, to getting back into shape, to just keep on going with this career you've got? I think as you get a little older or your, your body changes, your body doesn't respond differently or respond as fast. I think when you're younger and 
you're in your, your low to mid twenties, you can, you can have a night out and be fine the next day. You can push yourself in the weight room and be fine the next day. Your body just can't do it. It doesn't recover the same way. I think and you start to realize the, the, the precious window that you have as an athlete to play a professional sport for so long, because all sports are going to keep getting younger and stronger and faster. And once you're aging, you got to find a way to stay in that game. So I think once you realize you're not going to be able to play this game forever, you start to maybe take it a little bit more seriously. You start eating a little bit more uh, healthier. You make healthier choices. Um, your, your sleep schedule becomes a little bit more important. Your alcohol intake becomes a little bit more important. You just literally become conscious of your daily activity, I think, to, to make the change. And it's little by little. It's, it's, it's hard. I, I'd be lying if I said I just cut out sugar. I just cut out alcohol or something like that. I, I've never been able to do that. So it's been little changes along the way that because I, I know you don't have forever to play this game. So what years you do have, you might as well take it serious and make the, make the dive in. Yeah, I, I hear you about the body changes. I, I'm sagging in places I never thought I'd sag. <laughs> um, I, I also want to talk about another situation you went through at the University of Kentucky. You were a really good player there, your freshman and sophomore years, but you ended up leaving because you weren't a, quote, good fit for Kentucky. What does that mean? Well, well what did you go through at Kentucky that, that made you transfer to Arizona State? Well, let me correct you. I, my, I had a good sophomore two months. I registered in my freshman year. Uh, got kicked off after my freshman year because uh, we'll say I wasn't a good fit. We'll use that one again. <laughs> and I did a walk-on tryouts the next year to get back onto the team, became the starter in left field, and got kicked off again two or two months into the season, I think, almost before we even started like most of our SEC scheduling. So I tell people the, the beautiful butterfly you see in front of you had some cocoon years that needed uh, to grow up a little bit. Um, and I think that's what it was. I think I, I came in, I, I, was, I thought I was maybe better than I was coming out of high school with good numbers, and they, they told me I redshirted, but I, in my head I was better than some of the guys who were playing, so I just didn't agree with it, and I probably wasn't mature enough or handled it the right way and showcased it the right way. Um, so that, that might be where I, I didn't fit in, but like I had guys after I got kicked off the second time, because I won't get that's even a long story. I don't even know if we have time for that one, where they're asking, do we want – do you want us to talk to coach to get you back on? And I was like, wow, he's not going to play. He's not going to give me a third strike here. So I just had to transfer after that. And I had some growing up to do and realized that I, I could point fingers. I can have excuses or have actual legitimate reasons why something happened the way it did. Or I can look in the mirror and say, hey, let's just control what we can control, change what we can change. And a lot of times it's up to you to decide what kind of person you want to be and who you want to, how you want to represent yourself. So did you ever have that moment then when you second-guessed and said, I'm, I'm done with baseball? Oh, I almost quit after the second time I uh, got kicked off. I had friends from high school who went to Indiana, and I actually almost was transferring to Indiana just to play intramural sports. Hmm. I played in the Valley League in Virginia after my first year in Kentucky. I had to call that host family after I got kicked off the second time and asked them, hey, do you guys mind if I come stay with you guys and play in that league again? I had to call the coach first, and I get that first, okay? And I asked the family who I, I still, to this day, stay in touch with and I'm really close with. But I figured I'd give it one more summer uh, just to decide if I, I really wanted to do this. And while I looked at other places, and I ended up having a great summer, I sent out uh, emails to a bunch of colleges where I, I actually did like a recruiting process where I looked at who needed outfield help. And I almost sent it to Arizona State as a joke, thinking they were too good, but it's warm weather. I wanted to go there and 
somehow phone calls turn into emails and emails turn into a visit and visit turned into signing a paper and playing there the next year. And they were preseason number one. So I, I knew I got a very good second chance that not many people get. And I, I wanted to take advantage of it. All right. So you end up nine years with the Cleveland Indians after college. Two all-star appearances. By the way, the only player in Cleveland Indians history to pile up more than 1,000 hits, 100 home runs, and 100 stolen bases. And they've got one hell of a history, so you should be honored to hold that position, Jason. But one thing you've never been able to connect to uh, escape, I should say, is your Chicago connection. You made your major league debut against the Chicago White Sox. You played in the 2016 World Series against the Chicago Cubs. And this offseason, you signed a free agent deal to play for the Cubs. I'd like to play for them. Yeah, yeah. if the season ever starts, sure. Uh, what was it like playing against your favorite team growing up in the World Series in 2016 against the Cubs? And a lot of your friends from the north side of Chicago are Cubs fans too. So were they rooting for you or were they rooting for the Cubs? Uh, they, they were rooting for me, no question. They uh, they knew right after the, the NLCS – um, they celebrated that and they knew that was the last time they were rooting for the Cubs because they, they were with me 100% of the way. I never doubted it for a second. They did a great job. I mean, these are my, my little league teammates who through junior high, high school, these are like my brothers that throughout the whole playoff run and even the World Series, these guys are sleeping on the ground in my basement at my place in Cleveland. So it's like these are as close as they get. Um, but, but that being said, uh, they're Cubs season ticket holders. They're like three years before that, my I think we got like my sister a Chris Bryant jersey for Christmas. My uncle, I think, delivered Ryan Sandberg's kids. I used to get me- measured uh, about it, like a Ryan Sandberg cardboard cutout, like when I was growing up. So it, the the lines go way back. So it, it kind of it was hard. I was so excited to play in the World Series, and then you're playing against the Cubs, and I know all about the lovable losers. I know how long that city's been waiting for this. And now I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, damn, I got, I'm going to be the one to try to deny them of this. I was like, but you, you almost take on the, the mindset of like a villain where you just kind of embrace it. And um, you, you know, that's the best part about sports is the drama that comes with it. And um, I, I had a blast going and I, I, I wish it would have ended on my side, but um, yeah, it was, what a, what a series that was to be a part of. All right, so what were the emotions like this spring in the abbreviated spring training, the first time you put on a Chicago Cubs uniform? I, I, I stared at it for a while. I stared, like, down at the strikes and everything, and I loved it. And I, I, I can't even lie about it or deny it. I absolutely adore putting on that uniform still. Even in spring training, I, I had fun suiting up every day for that. And I'll, I'll put it this way. I said the that little 1% to 5% when I lost the World Series to them, that – at least it was to the Cubs. That like 5% were like, hey, it's okay. 95, you're heartbroken, you put everything into it. But that 5%, you like, you're almost like you smile because like, okay, at least it's Chicago and at least it's the Cubs. That 100% excitement to play for them now was down to 95% because I got hit back with that 5% where I'm looking at the banners on the TVs or the reruns of all the games and all this stuff. So it's just a reminder daily from it. But the guys... And me, we have a we had a good mutual respect coming in. Um, I'm a big fan of a lot of the guys and the way they play the game on this team. And um, even for just a spring training, I, I fit in pretty well on this team. And I, I, I was looking forward to playing this season a lot. Well, I don't need to tell you about the uh, painful history of Cubs fans and and what you all went through. And 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 I read a note on on your bio, and I and when I read it, I had to double take. I, 
Steve Bartman was a neighbor of yours? He lived down the street when uh, one of our first houses in Northbrook, where he went to school, I think, with my older sister, where they either rode the bus together or something. Uh, and I think I remember for a month after his fiasco that, I mean, cop cars were outside his house just protecting him for the next, like, month or so. Just, to, like, overnight, there was always a couple cars, cop cars parked out of inside his house. So um, I, I, I'm not going to say I know him personally or anything like that, but uh, there, there was some kind of connection where we were just close to each other. How, how old were you when all that went down? God, what year was that? It's hard for me to remember. What year was it? Less the the Bartman episode. My goodness, that was in the it's early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, I I mean, it's hard for me to recall. All I know is anybody and everybody in Chicago had an opinion of Steve Bartman at that time. Yo, I'm sure, absolutely. It was they. That was he was a scapegoat that everyone like a uh, the mob mentality that you hear mm-hmm. about now on social media and stuff. That if someone started blaming it, people were screaming at it. It just poured on way more than it should have. Uh, Less shared the theme of this podcast. It's about being unstoppable. So when when I mention unstoppable, any teammates of yours or anybody you come up with that that sort of lives by that credo that has overcome obstacles, whether physical or mental. Um, God, there, I mean, there's tons of guys who have a lot of good stories. Uh, one of the guys I watched. If we're talking, if we're gonna stay on topic of getting older, I was fortunate enough in maybe 2012, Jim Tomey came back and played with Cleveland for a little bit. Yeah. And the, the amount of time this guy spent, and you, you've seen his body. He's not, he's not cut like a Greek God. He's not anything. He's that big country strong. Um, but he almost was doing yoga for about two hours before the game, just because he knew that's what he needed to keep playing. He, the guy put in, he refused to let age dictate when he was done. He knew when he was done. And I think, the com- his prep before games was longer than the games themselves. And that's, I made me realize there's just one of the things that you might need to start doing to, if you want to keep playing. So there's, there's guys who have overcome a lot of obstacles in this game to get to where they are. I don't want to discredit any of them. Well, not too shabby to have a Hall of Famer as a, as a role model for that. No, no, and the nicest guy you could ask for. Yeah, I introduced myself at spring training um, th- this last spring, and he was very, very nice. Gave me all the time I wanted. Hey, hey, by the way, Les, uh, Les told me something before we kicked off this pod, and I said, well, how do you know Jason? He goes, I, I used to throw him BP. So you mean to tell me that Les Shapiro and his 52-mile-an-hour heater shaped your career as a major leaguer? It's a top-notch BP heater, 52 <laughs> miles an hour. Oh, maybe it's too slow. Maybe that's why I'm in front, I'm in front of stuff the last three years. Popping everything up. Yeah, damn you. That's, that's very well true, though. I that's I, I don't know if that's if that's true. Him and Scott Weiner in the days of the the BP up close were were some good days. We had a lot of fun back then. Hey Jason, well, we had a lot of fun with the podcast too. We really appreciate you coming on, and we hope you get back to work very very quickly. I want to see you in that Cubs uniform. That'll be kind of cool. Me too. Yeah. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more Unstoppable Stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable Podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today.